0: This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today from SpaghettiModels.com. You know him. You love him. If you've been looking for hurricane coverage in the last few years, you've been to his website. His name is Mike Boylan. Welcome, Mike. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, and I'm ready to kick off the 2023 season. It's coming close. It is, yeah, and we have you here because we want to hear your predictions, but first, we want to learn more about you, if that's okay. Yes, sir. All right, so spaghettimodels.com. dot com. It's used by weather fans. It's used by people working in industries, including weather industries. You are a USF graduate with a degree in marketing. So how does a USF grad with a degree in marketing end up one of the most popular weather guys on the internet?
1: Yeah, that's a crazy story. I guess if you say it that way, I never, never dreamed in a million years I'd be where I'm at. I had an interest actually racing growing up. I was a big NASCAR fan. I got involved with radio control cars right here in Tampa Bay. I had a facility right off Dale Mabry actually for several years with these little race cars. And then I got into websites and got into design web html and 2004 came along and florida was the target of charlie and trying to find information on the internet i was struggling back then there was no google back then <laughs> so i was learning a little bit of html and i'm like well i'm gonna build a website call mike's weather page of all the links that i enjoy and that i need when i'm tracking storms and i put it all together And it was meant for family and friends it was just a place to go to find your links from you know weather channel and national weather service and spaghetti models and Never dreamed that over the years it would compound, I guess, to where it's at. And once social media came around, it really skyrocketed as far as a worldwide presence. And uh, here
0: I am in 2023. Like you said, I never dreamed a marketing guy would be where where he's at. (laughs) I can see maybe a couple hundred people learning about your site and using it. But over the years, you now have over a million people that watch your work. Yeah, it's, it's
1: amazing. And last year specifically, you know, Turks and Caicos government had the site up on one of their social media posts. And I, I was, we were just there on a cruise and I'm like, man, to think that that government, they had an emergency meeting because they had a storm coming and they were, there's Mike's weather page on all their government TVs. It really kind of hit me like, wow, that this is you know being used by governments. And, you know, I've, I've seen pictures with the FEMA folks using it. The National Weather Service links it on their site. Uh, so it is cool. I mean, I get an email, a random email from somebody from NASA or, you know, they're like, hey, Mike, we think you should add this link or here's a new sea surface tip map you might like, or here's a new jet stream. So it's kind of a collaboration of everybody, you know, to have that one stop shop. And it's just easy to go to and, and see it all. I mean, it, it's the products are out there. I think it's just having them on one page has been the niche for me. Do you have a favorite weather personality? Locally, uh, I love them all. I've actually become really good friends with Dennis Phillips and Paul Delegato. They were the first two that accepted me locally and appreciated what I did. And Nationally now, Jim Cantori. I've met him several times. Never dreamed that I would be talking with him off camera, just like you know we are. That was a big moment for me. Yeah, I grew up watching Jim Cantori. Everybody yeah. did, and, and to be on a first-name basis now is cool. He's a real regular guy. I guess that's what made me really like him is he seems so... Not different on TV, but to see him casually, you know, made me really respect him more.
0: I would imagine he's not a hard guy to find, though, because wherever he is, that means there's a storm coming, and everybody else, <laughs> and that's getting to be like you as well. Wherever you are, you might want to start running. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: there's a famous chalkboard if you google it, it's called the Beaufort chalkboard up in South Carolina. I guess they do funny sayings and they're world famous for whatever they put on their chalkboard. Well, last year they put Jim Cantori and Mike's page are not welcome here, <laughs> at least not together during hurricane season. And so that was kind of like, yeah, I've hit that same mark with Jim.
0: <laughs> yeah, run. Run, yeah. See you, you see guys, coming. <laughs> see you guys together. Run. You've actually won accolades from weather people and government leaders. So tell us a little bit about some of your nods that you've gotten from the weather world. I think the most prized award if you may, you know, call it an award was 2021
1: I won the Tropical Meteorology Award which Governor's Hurricane Conference is here in Florida, it's the largest hurricane conference in the country and was nominated, you know, they have a huge panel of industry folks from National Weather Service and EOC and government and they all, you know, agreed that I would win this award and I guess what was so humbling about it, it was the first civilian to win an award such as that. Usually it's folks from NWS or NOAA. So that was a a really big moment for me to be like the average Joe winning an award like that, surrounded by a bunch of peers in the industry that accept me for that. Because there's a lot of criticism for hobbyists that are out on the Internet. It took me a while to gain some credibility and trust. And I think that award actually solidified what I do And then last year during Ian, I think the second most impressive part of this journey of mine was CNN reached out to us and Fox during Ian and they both ran stories. So to hit primetime like that was very surreal to be on top of the news and you know on both Fox and CNN I felt good about it weather is a nice neutral subject I was I was being accepted by everybody during Ian with over a
0: million is it over a million fans at this yeah point? yeah it's over a million <laughs> so I'm sure you have had some criticism over the years as well and how do you deal with people that just get nasty yeah
1: it's tough I mean I, I see other folks in the industry or even outside this industry always respond they call them trolls keyboard warriors I would lose a lot of sleep at first because it's hard to have confidence, I think in life, right? I mean, it's, it's, I'm trying to teach my daughter confidence, you know, not worried what other people think. And you know, it's easier said than done. I could see a couple hundred positive comments but that one would stick out and it, it would irk me. I would feel it in my gut and I would go to sleep thinking about it and wake up thinking about it. And then I'd feel like I had to respond to it and, but I think over the years, you start to realize you make more of an impact 99% of the time. And it's just best to leave it. Being quiet is more of a better response than anything than getting into an internet debate. I'm not a big New Year's resolution kind of guy. One of my sponsors this year, he joked with me and he's like, you yeah, know, we're going to renew you, but you have to promise no more trolling. We're at a friendship level. That was more of a little friendship thing. And I, I stuck to it. Here it is almost May and I haven't responded to one troll the whole year. So I kind of let
0: it go one year out the other now. People in ministry as well have to deal with this type of reaction as well because you get criticisms for the, the littlest things that you can't change. Sometimes they just don't like the message that they're hearing, mm. and there's nothing we can do about that. I don't understand it. I just you can't figure people out. That's the thing. Everybody thinks differently and ticks differently.
1: I mean, it, it's impossible to figure everybody out. You know, and I, I think was it Theodore Roosevelt? Somebody quoted a long time ago. Not, I don't know what the key to success is, but the key to failure is trying to make everybody happy. Mm. And somebody
0: told me that 10 years ago, I think it was. And that still holds true. What a place we would live in, though, if everybody was just kind. Yeah. So you're self-taught when it comes to weather. Back in 2004, as you mentioned before, the internet barely existed so how did you teach yourself about all of these hurricane models and everything else? You clearly know what you're talking about. So how did you teach yourself? Actually, it's um, it's been an
1: amazing journey. I feel like I'm a sponge every day. I'm trying to learn something new. And probably the first 10 years, I didn't probably know much. I think back to things I probably said, and if anybody was listening that knew anything about weather, they probably just shook their head. But I read a lot of internet, a lot of message boards. I have a lot of mentors that I follow. So, I, you know, I would listen to them and I would say, well, what does that mean? And then I would do homework on it, you know, and I would learn what this particular topic was. Then you start noticing trends and look at history. And it's like anything in life, no matter what you do, you know, as long as you love something, you become good at it. You're bound to if you're dedicated and almost addicted to it. So for me, it was just reading, absorbing, having an open mind just kind of learning. And there is a little bit of gut with weather. You know, I've seen a little trend the last few years where there's a lot of people relying on models a lot and and not kind of using common sense. And I think that's what people like now with me a little bit is I'll go outside the box of a model and say, you know, this is kind of what I think. And, you know, there's a little bit to that, that intuition that you have deep down inside is a big
0: part of weather, believe it or not. So talk a little more about your gut. Where was that for Hurricane Ian last year The early predictions were that Hurricane Ian would come into the Tampa Bay area, but it ended up scooting to the east down by Fort Myers. Were you seeing that early on? Yeah. Rewind about three, four years ago, I became that robot that was kind of,
1: I started out being successful with giving thoughts, opinions, didn't care what people thought, and Then I kind of got into the robot mode of just telling what the models were saying. And I had people say, Mike, you know, we liked you better when you used to just give us your thoughts, you know. So last year, it was tough for Ian. I did a YouTube video. I'll I'll never forget. I I watch it now and then. And, you know, I broke down crying with holding my dogs. And I had more people tell me that moment was when they realized it was going to be a real storm. And a lot of people told me they took it serious after that. Well, this whole tracking thing started out with a really big cone. A lot of it was based on all the models. And one of the models that was performing poorly last year was this, the GFS model, not to get too science But I kept saying, you know, this is trending east. This is trending east and, and towards more of South Florida. And I stuck to that because living here, you know, Charlie turned, Irma turned. We had a cold front coming. Nothing made sense why this thing wasn't going to turn. I got pretty irate about it, but I, I just kept saying, I don't believe it. I did a special video. Listen, West Coast of Florida, be prepared. There was one time on Saturday that this thing was going towards the panhandle even. And I got the feeling people locally in Tampa had a sigh of relief, like, oh, this thing's going to the panhandle. Like, no, listen, first off, we're on the bad side of the storm. And it ultimately did turn. So, yeah, I I had that feeling from the beginning. And, again, it was based on history, seeing model trends and following spaghetti models. Everything I learned, I think, with Ian, I was able to apply it. And I did have a lot of folks listen to that and thank me for that at least to keep them
0: being prepared down there. Your fans on Facebook have been able to watch you chasing storms, and on behalf of the entire world, you are out of your mind (laughs) to do those things. When did you start chasing the storms, and what does your family think about
1: that? I think back maybe because of my love with NASCAR and fast cars. I have a little bit of a rush. The history of the storm chasing, I guess, began. I watched Hurricane Laura five hours on the screen watching radar, and I was live. And it was odd because I was like, didn't really know what was going on, you know, and I see these storm chasers out there and I just had this light bulb go off in my head. I'm going to chase the next storm. We flew to a storm up in the upper Gulf and and I just, I was addicted to that. I mean, people watch the stream, sharing videos now across weather channel and Fox, they'll reach out. So I, I really enjoy being in it, you know, and sharing it to people. I've had so many people tell me that they appreciate, like they evacuate, but they love that connection that I bring them like, Hey, here's somebody still in our hometown. He's riding it out. So there are people that enjoy it, but as far as the family goes, I mean, my wife, several times I will call her and say like, did you just see that? And she'll be like, no, I was sleeping. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's like she just turns her cheek to it. Like, oh, well. And I don't know. I I think she just, oh, well, he's
0: off playing again. You know, like she doesn't really get nervous about it. You know, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's weird, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we're talking with Mike Boylan from SpaghettiModels.com, Mike's weather page. And there's another follow-up question to that that I have to ask. What do your insurance companies think (laughs) of you chasing storms? Oh, I don't think I've volunteered the information
1: yet. Um, (laughs) I have had a, um, I did have an incident with Ian where the motor did conk out on me. You know, I was down in Ian and we were chasing the storm all day long. And I was a mile from the interstate about 10 o'clock. We thought we were done and uh, the motor blew up on me. And that uh, was a little scary. That was one of those moments we had no cell phone coverage, and there was you know pitch black darkness. The water was rising. We were on a road called the North River Road of all names. It was a little nervous. <laughs> Just where you want to be during a hurricane is near a river, right? We were right next to the river, and that oh, river yeah. actually crossed seventy five. So yeah, the truck didn't make it. My, luckily, that my passenger Phil who works with me was able to hitch a ride. There was another truck coming. And he got a ride 40 miles, uh, found cell phone signal, and ironically called his wife. And she came down and towed us out of that flood water. See, women always save the day. She took a picture and said that she saved the storm chasers. Like It was the most humbling moment of our life to have his wife pull me out of the floodwaters. So that was one of them weird
0: stories. (laughs) Now, when a storm blows through as somebody that chases the storms, you see indescribable destruction. But I'm going to ask you to describe it. Like, what have you seen down in Ian?
1: I think the most heartbreaking scene for me was where we rode it out down close to Port Charlotte. I recorded the videos of the chase and driving by a neighborhood that before the storm got there, it was a mobile home park and this big marina and it was standing fine, obviously. And then once the storm passed, driving by and seeing almost 80% of the homes gone, literally gone in this mobile home park. And where I was at, there was unverified reports of wind gusts over 200. And um, that's never been verified. But this mobile home park that I drove through, I went back down a few days later and um, I just never seen anything like it. I mean, probably every third home was gone. And I met this couple and this is back to your question. They just, they evacuated. They came back down. He was changing his brakes and they were probably in their eighties. You know, he's struggling to change his brakes and their home's pretty much gone. And it's just that feeling that, and she offered me a sandwich, you know, and she was really nice and she was kind of saying, help him a little bit. It's almost like they were numb to what just happened and they came down to their home and to think of these people that don't have anything, that's that's where it hit me hard because the one story that I hear the most of anymore is once the news media leaves, they have still months to years of recovery. Hearing these stories from people on my social media sites, it's a long process after. When I saw Ian, like I came home to a truck that was broken and I didn't care for two months. I, I didn't even care, you know, because when you see people's belongings on the side of the road and their memories and their, you know, their houses completely torn up, it puts into perspective like the things we worry about. What they're going through right now like, is nothing compared to, you know, I'm upset because there's a 30-minute wait at Chili's or, you know, who knows, right? It definitely changed my perspective on what really is important and what's not. Immaterial things, you know, Pine Island and going down to Sanibel and Fort Myers, I mean, seeing that level of destruction. You can't even put into words like how it changes
0: communities forever. Can you tell us a little bit about the personal toll that chasing storms and just living on the internet while reporting about the storms, talk about the personal toll it has taken. What type of family events have you missed over the years? I think the biggest adjustment for
1: us has been going live a lot during storms. I had to have a set schedule. The families had to learn to be quiet. That's been a tough thing, keep everybody silent in the house, telling your spouse you have to be quiet for two hours. And now they know when I go live, they give me the respect. You know, So that took about a year for them to understand. When Dad goes live, there's complete silence. You know, And then, of course, uh, during the summer, we had to cancel a lot of trips. The joke was anytime I mentioned that we were going to go camping, there always was a storm. And I canceled three camping trips back in 2021, I believe, or 20, one of those two years. And that was the standing joke. Mike mentioned camping. There's going to be a storm. And we would actually have to reschedule trips. Daytona, they moved to August, and I couldn't go to Daytona two years ago because we had a spot. And that's my dedication. I guess it'd be easy just to say, oh, well, I'm not you know, going to be open this week, but I can't enjoy myself. I mean, I can't sit there and have the good time knowing that there's people out there needing information. So yeah, it's it's been a little rough, but we you know, try to make up for it in the winter months in the springtime.
0: We're talking with Mike Boylan from Mike's Weather Page and SpaghettiModels.com. So I would imagine as you're out there chasing storms and probably having the life scared out of you, you are talking with God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So had, talk about your prayer life, and obviously you believe in God. You believe in Jesus.
1: Oh yeah, we don't you know go to church as much as we should. But there's been several times chasing storms when I was alone in that truck that I prayed and had tears. I mean, I was in Louisiana one time, and the eye was approaching, and I was kind of lost, and the roads. Well, there's so many bayous and rivers in Louisiana. I didn't know where I was going to go and I I saw the approaching eye and I'm started thinking to myself, what if I get a blown tire? What if, you know, I was solo. I didn't have anybody with me. I remember just like, you know, just praying, but really to try to find uh, somewhere to park, you know? And I mean, I had that one moment of like, what did I do? Like, what am I thinking? Like, why, how did I get in this position to be this close? And it worked out. I mean, within minutes I found a La Quinta hotel room and I had a very famous Facebook live there because I ran in and, the hotel pretty much got destroyed, and the whole Facebook Live, you could hear the whole storm, on, and the truck was right in front. And I was thinking it was a miracle. And they were shut down, and they let me in because it was scary. I mean, I, I put myself in a bad spot.
0: Did you find yourself apologizing to God, like, dear God, I will never do this again? <laughs> and and my family, yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, you learn a lot. You know, I mean, I, I guess I could have turned around and went the other way, but it was a wake-up moment. I remember thinking to myself when I left my oldest, Emily, Kind of making that like a movie. It's making that promise. I'll come back. I'm not being dramatic, trying to be fake, but I did say that and I thought that. And during that moment, I'm like, man, I I got, I can't, I got to get back to her. You know, this would be so foolish of me to leave her, you know, being irresponsible. Has that experience made you back off a little bit? Yes. Oh yeah. Like this last storm with Ian, having more escape routes and not being in that surge. I mean, down there, obviously Ian was all about the water and they tell you, you can hide from the wind, run from the water and uh, that's basically what my new thing is is stay the heck away from water so many people lost their lives from surge that water is scary we had a few moments with ian that was just inland surge and i saw firsthand just retention ponds that can actually cover roadways And in our area specifically lake tarpon area where i live i always wondered why east lake woodlands and all those areas are under such a high risk for flood why well, i saw firsthand inland flood is a real deal i always assumed flood was from the ocean But wind-driven floodwaters is real, and just a little retention pond can flood because you just have 150-mile-an-hour winds pushing that water. So Lake Tarpon would
0: basically flood our area. Yeah, so now I at least stay away from the water. That's my new motto. (laughs) So what is a typical day for Mike Boylan? Do you spend 20 hours a day tracking storms and looking at conditions, or do you have other hobbies in your life?
1: I think what's kept this going for me is it is a hobby. I have this weird love of weather and models. But yeah, I start my day, 5.30, start digesting models, posting until about 9 o'clock. So from 5.30 to 9, I'm going to town, posting models, digesting data. I do my live show every morning at 9.19 in the morning and talk for an hour, hour and a half. And then doing some updating, making sure everything looked good on YouTube and whatnot. Next thing you know, it's noon, and then there's a new run of models. So then I'll start posting models, and then I do an afternoon video. We do an evening video around 8 o'clock when there's a storm, and then I'll post 11 o'clock advisory. It is a 5 to about 11 o'clock gig that I do, and uh, I'll have a couple hours here and there maybe for the kids and dinner. But my brain, as far as tracking storms, is literally 5 to 11 when I wake up at five, first thing I do, like I did when I was a kid, when I flipped on the weather channel to see if the cone changed, I used to look so forward when I was young to see Jim Cantori in the weather channel and see if that cone shifted because back then we didn't have the internet when I was a kid. And to see that track change, when I woke up now, I do it with my phone. I'll flip the phone on and first thing I do is look at overnight models and see what they did.
0: <laughs> so Mike, can you tell us when we are in your website and we see all of these models and cones and everything else? How much should we rely on the accuracy of those models and cones? One thing I've learned over the years is people react to every new update. I wear flip-flops,
1: so people joke when I say flip-flops, but models flip-flop, and they do a windshield wiper effect. So models are very known to swing shifts, go a little left, a little bit right, a little bit left. But one thing I saw with Ian, and, and I think there's a lot of discussion in the industry, is that cone of uncertainty with the NHC. Spaghetti models are great. It gives you all the possibilities. Spaghetti model basically is a brain. Every one of those little model, models is a brain, and everyone thinks a little bit differently. So what's cool about the spaghetti models, you're seeing basically 50 different people in a room, and that's 50 different people's opinions of where that storm's going. So it's kind of neat. That's the center of a storm. The NHC takes basically an idea of that, all those little brains, and they put together this cone of uncertainty. The thing that got so many people confused with Ian was that the cone is where the eye could go. And a storm like Ian was so large, it actually rode the bottom side of that cone right into Fort Myers area. But what got so many people confused was they, they think that black center line that you're so used to seeing on the news is the track of the storm. They don't realize that cone is anywhere that the eye could go. So I think my biggest point to make, and we learned it with Ian, is don't focus on that center line. I used to share the center line models with the NHC track, and I make sure now not to. I put the cone out there. The cone is anywhere the eye. And it's remember, when you have your eye, you can have effects 200 miles 300 miles outside that eye. And that's where people really don't understand. The inland effects are huge. We saw that with Ian, the flooding with so many folks all the way over to like Port Orange, Daytona Beach, lost so much from inland flooding that all the focus was on landfall and that, you know, wherever the eye came ashore, there wasn't enough discussion on inland effects or uh, far-reaching effects. So that's that's my takeaway is understand that that cone is
0: not, just where the storm is going to go. It's the effects way outside that area and well inland too. We're talking with Mike Boylan from Mike's Weather Page and SpaghettiModels.com. It's a new hurricane season for the Tampa Bay area. What are your predictions for the Tampa Bay area as far as hurricanes go?
1: So predictions, I used to not believe them because you get these preseason predictions and everybody's like hype, hype, hype. I found myself last year buying into the preseason prediction, which was an active season. And it turned out to be an average season. So my number one motto, then we'll get into this year, but my motto, I'm, I'm really pushing hard anymore, is it only takes one. And if you look back at every season, there's really only one or two storms that define a season. And we had the third most active year in 21, I believe. And there was really only Hurricane Ida that affected anybody. So we had third most active season. People are all about wanting numbers, you know, but in reality, they could all be fish storms, they call them, where they don't affect anybody. So looking at Florida this year, you know, we're entering an El Nino year. You're going to hear that on the news a lot. That's kind of been the talking points, I guess, of hurricane season when we have El Nino and La Nina. So El Nino means basically less storms because the Caribbean has a lot of wind shear, they call it. Problem is, is an El Nino year, there's been a lot of Florida hurricanes. So 2004 was an El Nino year, and that was the year that started Mike's Weather Page, and we had four storms that year. We had Charlie, Francis, Gene, and Ivan. Looking back at that, it shows it doesn't matter if it's an El Nino year or not. Florida has to watch out. The last El Nino year we had was 18. We had Hurricane Michael, and that formed in the Caribbean. Another year that started out as an El Nino year was Hurricane Andrew, 1992, and also Dorian. And those were two storms that came up around the Bahamas. So my prediction is, looking back at El Nino years, the Gulf of Mexico is going to be a hot spot, which is bad for Florida. The Gulf's already running about 5 to 10 degrees above normal, and there's a lot of chit-chat about that. No matter what El Nino means, the water temperatures are warmer than normal right now. We have this thing called rapid intensification that's been a little bit more prominent the last several years, and these are storms that turn in from tropical storms to hurricanes in about two or three days. So that's what I'm worried about. And the second thing is this, these El Nino storms that have shown to come around the top side of the Bahamas. I don't know if it's a Bermuda high placement or not, but we had, like I said, Gene, Francis. Dorian and Andrew were all based on El Nino years, and they all kind of snuck in close to Florida there. Well, three hit Florida. Dorian luckily stopped, if you remember. That was that bad Cat 5 that just sat over the Bahamas. But
0: I think we're going to have an active year. All that, just to say, I think we're going to have something to watch. Our guest today has been Mike Boylan from Mike's Weather Page and SpaghettiModels.com. Mike, I don't want to see you again or your friend (laughs) Jim Cantori. Please go far away. (laughs) We got it. I have an open parking spot for Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. This is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy
1: of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit MySpiritFM.com slash it.